Our sermon text today is Leviticus 13, 29-37. If a man or woman has a sore on the head or the beard, then the priest shall examine the sore. And indeed, if it appears deeper than the skin, and there is in it thin yellow hair, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a scaly leprosy of the head or beard. But if the priest examines the scaly sore, and indeed it does not appear deeper than the skin, and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the scale seven days. And on the seventh day the priest shall examine the sore, and indeed, if the scale has not spread, and if there is no yellow hair in it, and the scale does not appear deeper than the skin, he shall shave himself, but the scale he shall not shave. And the priest shall isolate the one who has the scale another seven days. On the seventh day the priest shall examine the scale, and indeed if the scale has not spread over the skin, and does not appear deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. He shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scale should at all spread over the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall examine him, and indeed if the scale has spread over the skin, the priest need not seek for yellow hair. He is unclean. But if the scale appears to be at a standstill, and there is black hair grown up in it, the scale has healed. He is clean, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. We have been dealing with leprosy in this chapter, and I think that as we deal with leprosy, it's important for us to recognize that God's not talking about some skin condition. Just like he says with the oxen that that, you know, do not muzzle the ox when he treads out the grain, that he's not speaking of oxen. He's speaking about principles that are broader. And here, as we talk about what is basically dandruff, the issue is not how do you deal with dandruff and whether you call people, put people out of the church because they have dandruff. Go use some anti-dandruff shampoo. That's not the issue. The issue is it's a picture of sin. And so as we go through this and deal with these other kinds of leprosy, where we started with just leprosy in the skin and then how the whole body can become white because of the the leprosy. We looked at the leprosy in wounds and in burns. Now we come to this passage, which is largely about leprosy. Well, now that I've shortened it, it is only about leprosy in the head and on the head. So in general, leprosy is a physical ailment of the skin but it's representing spiritual ailments. And it's representing deeper sin that that goes through, and it's not just a superficial thing. And so the check over and over again, is it deeper than the skin, or is it just on the skin? And so as we look at this and we consider this, this is how we're supposed to deal with sin. This is how we're supposed to deal with it when God chooses to reveal someone's sin to us. That when we see sin, it almost never is the whole picture. And we have a duty to examine it and say, is there more here? We see somebody tell a little lie and we go, oh, that's not a big deal. Well, that could be God indicating that their whole life is filled with lies. And so the, the repeated admonition is when you see these things, when you see these pictures of sins, you're not just supposed to walk by. You're not just supposed to ignore it. It could be fatal. It could be 
damaging to the church. It could be contagious. It could have all kinds of effects. And now the church just kind of thinks, unless it gets really bad, we'll just kind of ignore it. But that's not what this passage is saying at all. This passage is saying if you see it, if you see the dandruff on somebody, then you take them to the priest and have them examined. It's not that you just go, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just dandruff. Sin is that serious. God is that serious about sin that he sent his own son to die for it. And so we're supposed to take sin that seriously. We're not just supposed to see it and go, oh, well, it's not a big deal. They'll be fine. When God reveals sin to us, it means we have a duty to deal with that sin. We have a duty to examine it, to see if they're unclean, so that we preserve the holiness of the name of God. And it really resets when we think about why Jesus Christ was sent. It really resets how we should think about sin. It says in Ezekiel 36, 22 and 23, where later he says, I will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. Earlier, he says why he will do that. In Ezekiel 36, 22 through 23. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went, and I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. The reason that we're to deal with sin is because that's how the nations know who God is. When we deal with sin, when we're hallowed, when we are a holy people, that's how the nations know who God is. And that's why he sent his son, so that the whole world would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So it's very easy for us to see sin and go, oh, it's not that big of a deal, unless you recognize that that's why Christ came, was to deal with the sin was to destroy the works of the devil, was to produce a holy people, then all of a sudden it becomes a big deal. It becomes an important thing. So we have to deal with, just as as God spoke to Aaron after he became high priest and said, here's your job. Your job is to separate between the clean and the unclean. And we still have that duty to separate the clean from the unclean. So that the nations know that God is the Lord. That the nations know he is the creator. So that the nations know he is the holy one. So that his great name is known. When he's hallowed in our eyes. When we say we must be holy because he is holy. That is when the nations respect the church. When the church just says, oh, your sins are forgiven. The nation will not respect the church because we're not testifying that there is a holy God. We are to testify there is a holy God by actually dealing with sin. So with all that, now we come to a different type of leprosy. The leprosy that's on the head. And again, leprosy is symbolizing sin, so this has to be symbolizing something. And this isn't just about protection so that it doesn't create contagion, right? Because you have Naaman and Gehazi that were among kings even though they were lepers. This is a a spiritual picture or a physical picture of a spiritual reality. In pretty much all the commentaries that I saw, 
they focused on that because it's on the head, it was symbolizing heresy. But I don't agree with that. The problem I don't agree with that is that God says heresy comes from the heart, right? The word of God reveals the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's just in modern times that we associate thought with the head. That was usually associated both with the head and the heart. But there is one thing that is constantly associated with the head, that the word in the Hebrew and the word in the Greek always, it either means the physical head or it means the leader. It means authority. And so I think when we talk about this, that we should look at what the, how the word is used throughout Scripture. And it's used as the leader. And so I think this is talking about seeing sins in leadership and how you deal with sins in leadership. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11.3 would be an example, but I want you to know the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. It's that picture of leadership. And that's, you know, it's used for the top. It's used for being prominent. These are all the things that the, the Hebrew and the Old Testament and the Greek word of the New Testament are representing. So I don't think we should be thinking about it as heresy. We should think about it as how do you deal with sins in leadership? How do you deal with sins in any kind of authority? So when we consider this passage, I think that's how we should consider it. What does it reveal to us about dealing with sin and authority? And not just authorities, but prominent people. Because it is about prominent, the people that are seen. If somebody's been seen, and it doesn't mean that they're an elder. They can just be somebody who's seen in the church and seen as, as being influential in the church. That's sufficient that they get dealt with. And I think that's what this passage is pointing to. Let's talk about verses 29 and 30. <clears throat> if a man or a woman has a sore on the head or on the beard, or the beard, then the priest shall examine the sore, and indeed if it appears deeper than the skin, and there is in it a thin yellow hair, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a scaly leprosy of the head or beard. So it starts with man or women. If a man or woman has a sore, and obviously we know from what I just read from 1 Corinthians 11, that, that men are to be the head of the household, that they are to lead in society. That's what the law says. Isaiah 3, verse 6, I think it is, says it is a curse when women rule over you. That is a testimony of the wickedness of your society. And so, obviously, God has assigned authority to men. So how can I say that this is about authority if God also says, if you see it in a woman? Because obviously, women have authority too. Ephesians 6, a woman has authority over her children. They have to obey both the father and the mother. You have also cases like, <clears throat> like Lydia in Acts 16, 14 and 15. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard that she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her husband were ba- or she and her household, excuse me, were baptized, she begged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Clearly she had a household. Clearly she had authority over people. Because when her whole household is baptized, she had servants. Whether they were all women, we don't know. But clearly she had authority. 
So yes, it's not just talking about authority in the church, right? It's not saying if a priest has a scaly leprosy on his head. It's saying if anyone has a scaly leprosy on his head. So I think it's a picture of all kinds of authorities. How do you deal with sin in all different kinds of authorities? So it's on the head or the beard. Obviously, this is the part of the head that is to be covered with hair or that has hair. And obviously, most women do not have facial hair, but as every commentary said, but it's not unheard of. Um, So they can, but obviously, for most women, it would be on the head where their hair is. But this is a picture of where there's, there's the scaly leprosy is in the midst of the hair. And so the sore would be seen very differently and it would manifest itself very differently. For the, sore, for the sore on the skin, right, if it was underclothing, the number of people that would see it would be pretty limited. And that's important. We didn't talk about that when going through these other things. But if you think about it, leprosy can appear any place on the body. If you wore a robe like they did, there's not that much skin exposed. So who's the most likely one to detect leprosy? Your spouse. But it's supposed to be brought to the priest. It's not saying, oh, if your spouse has leprosy, don't do anything about it. No, it's saying they're to be brought to the priest. Who's the most likely person to bring them to the priest? It's not some stranger. It's their own spouse. Because there's parts of the body that only their spouse would see. And yet, if that's where it's leprous, they still are to be brought to the priest. (coughs) So even if it's your spouse, you still have a duty to deal with the sin. Even if it's your head, even if it's your husband, it doesn't mean that you ignore the sin. You still have to deal with the sin. And I think that a lot of people go, oh, but, but he's my head. I shouldn't do anything. No, that's not how it works. Christ is the head, and Christ is producing a holy people. To cover up the sin of your spouse is sin. It is not being a blessing. It is being unloving towards them to let them wallow in their sin. But it would appear differently if it's in the head or the beard, right? Because it's, it's covered not with cloth, but it's covered with, with the hair. But it would still be seen as visible. So then the priest shall examine the sore. Again, it's still the responsibility of the priest to do the examination. And if it's about authority, it's not just saying, hey, the high priest, they're the only ones that can do the examination because, hey, he's an important person or this person has authority. This is still the responsibility of the church. The church still has the responsibility with the priesthood of all believers. All believers still have the responsibility to call sin, sin, even if it's in an authority. It doesn't say that only the high priest can examine the king. Everybody has the responsibility to examine the king. And all Christians are supposed to be able to judge, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? So we have a responsibility Not to overlook sin when God reveals it to us, but to deal with it. Then it says, and indeed, if it appears deeper than the skin. 
Well, how do you know it appears deeper than the skin if it's sin? Yeah, there's obviously physical signs if it's if it's a physical ailment. But sin, how do you how do you figure out if sin is deeper than something superficial? You ask questions, right? That's how you find out. You don't just go, oh, I know they didn't really mean it. No, you actually ask questions. You find out if it's a pattern or if it's a sole instance. You don't just accept it. You don't just ignore it. You actually have to ask probing questions to figure out, is this, is this in their life or was this just them stumbling and falling? We're not to ignore sin. We are a holy lump, as it says in 1 Corinthians 5. People do stumble and fall, even as we read from the confession this morning. People do stumble and fall. We don't ignore the stumbling and falling and say that means they're an unbeliever. But we don't ignore it and just go, it doesn't mean that they couldn't be an unbeliever. It could be, they could be an unbeliever. So we have a real duty to come and see if it... Do not be deceived. He who practices righteousness is righteous. He who, does not pra- he who practices sin, he who does not practice righteousness is of the devil, is what it says in 1 John 3. And so we have a duty to actually examine. We have a duty to ask the questions. We have a duty to probe and not just go, well, I know they're okay. Much damage has been caused in the church by people just going, oh, I know they're okay instead of actually looking at sin. And it doesn't mean that we examine them all the time. It means that when God brings sin to light, we, it produces a real duty for believers, a real duty for those who are priests of the Most High God. So if it appears to be more than superficial, more than just being defiled through the temptations of the world, means that they're practicing sin. As it says in 1 John 3.10, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. If you go and you examine it and they go, Oh no, this is what I do all the time. That's testifying they're not saved. And we need to not mess around with people's soul. This is their eternal destiny. We don't just, when God reveals somebody's sin to us, we don't just ignore it. This could be about whether they go to heaven or hell. And the worst thing that you can do to somebody is to lie to them and pretend like they're going to heaven when they're really going to hell. That is a really serious sin against somebody. And the church does this all the time. All the time. The visible church does. Let's make sure we don't do this. This is not how you treat people. This is not how you love your brother. When you see sin in somebody's life, you have a duty to go examine it to see if it's going deeper than just them stumbling and falling. And if it goes into the, them practicing unrighteousness. That says, and there is a, in it a thin yellow hair, which is different from the criteria for the other leprosy. It's also on a different part of the body a part of the body that's covered with thicker hair. And it's also dependent upon being an Israelite, right? If you're, you're blonde, you kind of have thin yellow hairs. But that doesn't mean you're unclean. That's not the point. The point is that the Jews were all dark-haired. And so for them, this applies. It doesn't mean that it's the standard for everybody. But for Jews, you could see. And if all of a sudden they had a yellow hair spring up, it meant something. It was a testimony because it was very different. 
So the, and the yellow hair is not like the rest of the hair. It's also thinner and smaller than normal hair. And so what it's really testifying is just like the white hair in the other leprosy, it's, it's testifying that the hair follicle was damaged at its roots, like the whole way through the skin. So it's deeper than the first layer of skin. But it doesn't need to be white like hair and other prominent leprous sores on the, another potential leprous sores on the body. So I think the picture here is that in leadership, the sin can be seen, but it will appear different. It does appear different in leaders because they have ways to cover things. People don't want to see things. And so it's easier for them to hide things. And so you won't see sin frequently in leadership the same way, you know, we've seen lots of leaders in the church that have apostatized, that have been caught in really serious sins. And it's because they're thinking, everybody in the congregation is thinking, oh, their sin will appear like everybody else's. No. They have means to cover it up. They have means to make it look different. It's covered by them. They have the authority so that they can structure things to hide their sin differently. Yes, the sin's the same, but it doesn't mean that it shows up the same way when it's in leadership. But if you see that it is deeper than the skin, if there's a a thin yellow hair in it, that, that there's a clear manifestation of the... that that it is going the whole way through and that real damage is called, caused, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. The sore is clearly deeper than the, the skin. It's producing malformed hairs. He is unclean. It's a scaly leprosy of the head or beard. The form of this leprosy is different as well. The other leprosy isn't scaly. This is scaly. That's why I started out by talking about this is like dandruff. This is like where the skin's peeling off because of the sore. That's a very different sore than what you see with the other leprosy, where it can be open, raw wound. That's not what this is. This is the picture of that your skin's flaking off because of the leprosy. But obviously... Dandruff is typically very superficial. It's not through the skin. But that's what the word means. That's what the the word that's translated scaly means. It means, I forget what the word is, but there's a word that basically means dandruff that is the the more direct translation of the word. (coughs) So this is dandruff that's not just flaking from the surface, but is flaking through the skin. And so with scaly leprosy, unlike the other leprosy, with scaly leprosy, you can see the effects of it, right? Because like dandruff, you can see. As opposed to the other leprosy, you could see where the wound was, you could see, but it wouldn't necessarily be leaving trails. But the scaly leprosy, it actually leaves a trail. It leaves the, the scales that are, that are sloughed off. So when you think about that in the picture of leadership, it means that a lot of times the way you see sin in leadership is not directly by seeing it in leadership. You see the effect of their leadership. You see how it's affecting other people. You're seeing the direction that other people are going that should make you suspect that there's a problem in leadership. You don't just start and go, well, this this is all the people there. Well, 
are those really just signs that, that the sin in the leadership is being sloughed off and is affecting other people? Verses 31-34. But if the priest examines the scaly sore, and indeed it does not appear deeper than the skin, and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the scale seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the sore, and indeed if the scale has not spread, and there is no yellow hair in it, and the scale does not appear deeper than the skin, he shall shave himself, but the scale he shall not shave. And the priest shall isolate the one who has the scale another seven days. On the seventh day, the priest shall examine the scale, and indeed if the scale has not spread over the skin and does not appear deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. He shall wash his clothes and be clean. So if the priest examines the scaly sore... And so, the, again, the implication is that if it's on the head, at least the, the hair that's under, or that where there would typically be under the hair unless you've gone bald, that the, scale, the sore will be different. It will be a flaky kind of sore. It won't be a sore like it is on the rest of the body. But the same criteria is used. If it does not appear deeper than the skin, if it appears to just be a sore on the top of the skin. Nobody's saying that leaders don't sin. Leaders sin. The question is, is it a pattern of sin or is it an individual sin? Is it, is it that they're, they're affecting other people with their sin or is it just their sin and they're, they're repenting and being healed of their sin? Because it also says, and there's no black hair in it. For the person who stumbles and falls, the picture of the black hair is that it's healthy. Yes, we stumble and fall. Yes, we repent. And God is just and faithful to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we don't go, oh no, there's, they have this sore. But if black hair is growing up in it, it's been healed. It's being cleansed of unrighteousness. So you don't go, oh, they're guilty. You go, as it says in verse 37, I believe, they're clean. And so if the black hair is coming up in it, it means it's a sin that they repented of and they've dealt with it and they're moving on and nothing more needs to be done. But if there's no black hair in it, if you can't see that there is actual fruits of repentance, if you can't see that, that the sin is not being turned from, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the scale seven days. So... Again, think about this. As soon as you take them and you isolate them, you are making it public. So much of the dealing with church, with sin in churches, people go, oh, you can't make it public. You can't make it public. You can't make it public. That's completely different than how they're supposed to deal with leprosy. If we saw sin the same way that we see leprosy, which we should because leprosy is a picture of sin, if there was a leper here, everybody would say, how can you hide the leprosy? Maybe not now because you take an antibiotic. But go back 200 years ago and people would say, you're spreading a death sentence around us. That's how we should think of sin. We shouldn't be thinking of sin as this light thing. We should be thinking of it as a death sentence. And if somebody came into this room that had some disease that we all knew was contagious and fatal, we'd all go, 
wait a second, you can't hide it. You need to tell people. We need to deal with it. We need to expose it. But now we take sin and we say that it doesn't need to be exposed. No, sin is a picture of leprosy, or leprosy is a picture of sin. We are to expose it. And so as soon as you say, well, we don't see that this is healed, we don't see the black hairs coming up it, then you isolate it and everybody now knows their suspicions against this person, their suspicions against this leader that the church has to examine and see if they're real. The priests have to examine. So then on the seventh day, and again, as I said last week, the, the seven may not be, you know, maybe sometimes it takes longer, but in my experience, seven days is plenty of time. In almost all cases, if somebody is actually a slave of sin and you put them under the pressure of isolation, it almost always manifests itself very quickly. It's not like it goes on for a long time. They can't, they can't handle it. And so it exposes itself pretty quickly. And so after seven days, you know, and in the case of leadership, in the case that it works is you examine it by going and saying, okay, so what did he tell you about the sin? Because if he's actually repentant, he'll confess the sin to people and he won't hide the sin. If he goes instead says, oh, no, they're just making a big deal out of nothing, then you know they haven't repented of the sin. And this is the picture. This is how you examine it. You examine it to see what have they done with it. Are they spreading it? Are they adding sin to sin? Then you know that they are indeed unclean. And so going back and examining it, going back and seeing, is there any change? Or are they just dealing with the sin and repenting of the sin? If they're just dealing with the sin and repenting of the sin, then, <coughs> then that's a good sign. But if they're a slave to sin, they'll find that very hard to do. So the priest shall examine the sore which means in the first instance, the priest was to remember what it looked like so they could see if it changed. What it looked like around it, it was not some superficial examination by the priest. They were supposed to actually examine it. So indeed, if the scale has not spread, the scale, if the scale has spread or there's a yellow hair in it, you just declare them unclean, it's over. But if it hasn't spread and there is no yellow hair in it, so, and again, it says later, if a black hair grows up at this point, you go, it's a, it's a scab. They're healed. They've repented of the sin. The sin is no longer a problem. But if there's no yellow hair in it and the scale still does not appear deeper than the skin, it's not gone deeper into the skin, then more testing is required. Only this, it makes it even more obvious that... <laughs> what the sin is, and the sin is being exposed at a different level. In the one case, it's being exposed that this person is isolated. Now they have to shave their head, except for the one spot that has the leprosy. So with leadership, I think there's a greater expectation. With the other potential lepers, they were to just examine it, and then they let it go for a week and examined it again. Here you have to shave the person's head, shave the person's beard, it's very obvious exactly what people are looking for in the, where the leprosy is, right? Because what you don't shave is the leprosy <coughs> or the potential leprosy. So they're required to shave themselves. 
right? And again, this is about making the sin very public, making it very specific. Everybody knows the boundaries of the scale. They all know the boundaries of the potential leprosy. So I think this is a picture of 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. It's not like let's hide the sin. It's like let's make sure everybody knows the sin, knows exactly what the boundaries of the sin are so that they can tell if it's spreading, so more people can see it. But the scale he shall not save. Shave. The scale will be obvious. It will be easily seen. It will be in contrast to the rest of his head. So then the priest shall isolate the one who has the scale another seven days for a second week. (coughs) For a second week, they're separated. They're seen as different. They don't have any hair on their head. They They have no beard. It's all been shaved except for what is suspected for leprosy. So for a second week, they're seen as very different. They're seen as very separate. And it's a clear escalation from the first week. The first week you just go, will this heal on its own? It hasn't healed yet, but maybe it will heal. Maybe a black hair will appear in it. But then, if it doesn't, now you make it more obvious to everybody by shaving their head. Nobody can doubt that when their head is shaved and their beard is shaved, nobody can doubt that they're being, they're being examined. They're being questioned whether they are truly a leper or not. And again, I think it's a picture of the detail of the sin being made known because the only thing that isn't shaved is the scaly sore. That's the only part. So that's what everybody sees. Everybody sees it as different. It's made known to everybody. Then on the seventh day, after the second seven days, for a total of 14 days... Then the priest shall examine the scale. He examines the scaly sore again. And indeed, if the scale is not spread over the skin, if after being revealed, if after the boundaries of it were clearly established through the shaving, and if it still hasn't spread, and it's still not deeper than the skin, and there's still no yellow hairs, it, it actually doesn't have the requirement anymore about whether there's black hair in it or there's no yellow hairs in it. It just basically says if it hasn't gone deeper than the skin, even if there's, you know, I think if there's a yellow hair in it, you probably still say that it's real or that it's, it's leprous. But there's no requirement for a black hair to grow. At that point, the priest shall pronounce him clean. At that point, it's been exposed. And if in that exposure, if he could resist sinning as a result of the exposure, then he's clean, or there's no reason to think he's not clean. And we'll say next that if it then shows up later, that proves that he wasn't clean. But as far as we can judge, if, if you've exposed it, if everybody knows the boundary of the sin, and his response is to walk in righteousness instead of sp- sinning because the picture of it spreading is that he sins because of it, because of the exposure then he's to be treated as clean. He's supposed to be treated and said, okay, he handled the situation. So much of church discipline, like Matthew 18, when somebody gets excommunicated because of Matthew 18, it's not because of the original sin. They don't have two or three witnesses for the original sin. It's always about the response to the sin. And that's the picture of leprosy. It's when you isolate them. How do they respond to that isolation? That tells you where their heart is. Not the original sin. 
when you shave it and you expose it so everybody sees exactly what the, the sin was that they did, that's when people respond badly. That's when you see their sin and whether it's deeper than the skin. And so too often we go, we can know where they are. No, it's the exposure that helps you know where they are. And just like Matthew 18, the first step, you go one, then you take two or three witnesses. Well, they're witnessing to the response to the accusation. The church is witnessing to the response. And here, you're declared unclean if your response to the exposure of your sin is not repentance, it's to sin further. Then you're, then you're declared unclean. But if it didn't go deeper than the skin, if it hasn't spread, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. The priest shall acknowledge that he is indeed clean, even though there was suspicion, even though there, there was sin, the thought is not that it goes to the heart, that it was just somebody stumbling and falling. <coughs> the suspicions should not go to it being beyond superficial. So after the p- process, people can start to build trust that he is clean again. Now remember, he has no hair. It will take a while for his hair to grow back. He has no beard. It will take a while for his beard to grow back. These things take a while to happen. So it's not like the priest declares him clean and everybody goes, no reason to worry about him. He'll still be seen for a while as being different. Because it takes a while to build back trust. You can't just assume that you'll have trust right away when you're declared unclean. Because it did start with his sin. It did start with there being a sore. It did start with, with a blow that shows that there was, there was some, some act that was unrighteous. <coughs> but then he still has an obligation as well to wash his clothes. Just because he's not declared as unclean doesn't mean that there wasn't things that he has to deal with, that there wasn't things that he had to clean when we think of the, the clothes, clothes are a picture of works, right? Revelation 19.8, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And so he needs to go back and he needs to, if there was consequences of his sin to people, he needs to go back and make it right. He needs to make restitution. He needs to clean up any damage that he did. <coughs> if it took isolation for two weeks to make sure that it wasn't deeper than the skin. It means that there was real sin and there was real effects of the sin. And it means that there's real things that it needs to deal with as a result of the sin. And then it'll be clean. It's important to recognize this. They aren't considered clean until they've washed their clothes. You know, I've, I've seen this happen before where somebody steals and they haven't made restitution, but they're restored to the church. They shouldn't be restored to the church. They haven't washed their clothes. And yes, maybe, maybe they're saved, but the church can't say they're saved until they see the fulfillment of the restitution. That's what's required. And to turn around and say, without washing your clothes, you can be clean, that's not what Scripture teaches. That's not where it teaches anywhere. That if there's a thief, they have to pay back 20% extra or double or four times or five times, depending on it. But that's the equivalent of washing the clothes. And until those clothes are washed, they shouldn't be considered clean. 
<coughs> they have to deal with the consequences of their sin. <coughs> Verses 35 through 37. But if the scale should at all spread over the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the scale has spread over the skin, the priest, shall, the priest need not seek for a yellow hair. He is unclean. But if the scale appears to be at a standstill and there is black hair grown up in it, the scale has healed. He is clean and the priest shall pronounce him clean. So if the scale should at all spread... This is the case where they've been pronounced clean. But then it's seen later that the scale that was contained, that wasn't spreading, that maybe they even saw the black hair growing up in it, and they saw that there was the appearance of real repentance, real, real zeal for good works, right? Real zeal, as it says in 2 Corinthians 7, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. It can be looking like that, and then they return back to the same sin. If they return back to the same sin, that's the case it's been talking about here. The scale shows up again. They lied. They confessed that they shouldn't have lied, that it was minor, that they have no pattern of that in their life. But then you catch them in another lie. You don't need to mess around with all this isolation for 14 days. You don't do any of that. They're unclean. They didn't really repent of the sin. Too often we keep seeing temporary repentance and pretend like it's real repentance. Where people say, oh, I repent, and then they go back the next week and do the same thing. That's not repentance. That's not repentance. Repentance is actually changing your mind so that you see the sin differently and you're cleansed of the sin. Again, confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The promise of God is that he will give you real repentance. (coughs) So if it should all spread, then as a picture of sin, it's the same sin is coming out in a different place. That means that there's a pattern, that it's not just superficial, that it is deeper in the skin. Deeper in the skin. So no longer can you say it's just them falling to the world, the flesh of the devil. When that sin returns, if it shows up after his cleansing, after the 14-day process, if it shows up again, this is more serious. The process had been gone through. They had been confronted in their sin. They saw the seriousness of the blow. They saw the seriousness of the sin. So if they return back to it again, it means something far more than it did the first time. So then the priest shall examine him. Again, it's the responsibility of those who are priests of God to determine what is sin and what is not, what is against the commandments of God and what is not. But when they go to examine him and they see that leprous sore and indeed if the scale has spread over the skin, if it's gone to another place on the head, if it shows up, if it's beyond where it was before, that's immediately a sign of leprosy. You know that that they haven't repented. You know that God hasn't cleansed them. <clears throat> you know when they go back to it again, when they go back to their same sin, there's no reason to separate them. There's no reason to shave their head. 
You, the priest doesn't need to seek for the yellow hair. He doesn't need to seek that real damage has been done in their activities. He doesn't need to look for those things. He knows he's unclean. The process completely changes the second time. He's unclean. So the second case is not to be treated like the first case. Now the judgment is immediate. If the leprosy comes back, if they go back to the same sin, if they're like a dog that returns to its vomit, right, as the New Testament picture, then you just go, this is a dog. They're unclean. You don't need to go, well, we should check and we should test and we should. No. God gives us power over sin. And then one that I think applies to everything that we've talked about so far. And this is if the scale appears to be at a standstill. This doesn't matter if it's at the beginning. It doesn't matter if it's after the first week. It doesn't matter if it's after the second week. If it appears that it's at a standstill, if you're not seeing any spreading of it, and there's a black hair that grows up in it, the black hair is a sign that underneath it's healthy, that this is just something that's superficial. This is just the sin that we all sin, as it says in 1 John. He who says he has no sin, the truth does not abide in him. And so the black hair probably signifies that there's real voluntary attempts to deal with the sin and to deal with the effects of the sin. And so it's just a scab, and it's not leprosy. The scale is healed. We need to remember that when we think about these things, and this is true for leaders as well as everybody else, God does remove the sin. He does cleanse us. He does scourge us. And then that wound gets healed. He punishes us for our sin. All these things happen. And it doesn't matter if you're a leader or the the youngest child in the church. He scourges every son he receives. So we have to allow leaders to fall. We have to allow them to, to sin. And it doesn't mean their sin doesn't get exposed. It doesn't mean people don't know about it. But also we have to trust God can heal it. And God can forgive, and God can remove this sin, which is the picture of the black hair coming up. And then he is clean. We have to accept that leaders sin, but it doesn't mean that they're not clean. And then the priest shall pronounce him clean. And the priest shall make it known that, yes, this is a man that has repented of his sin. So let me give you some applications. (coughs) And I have a number of applications this time. The first is the person who sees the sore has responsibility. This is true for any of the leprosy. When we see the leprosy, when we see the sin, God has given us a responsibility. We have to accept that as having come from God. When we think that God is holy, and we are to produce holiness, then there is never a point where you say you see the sin and you just ignore the sin. That's hating your brother. You know, as it says in Leviticus 19, that is, it is hatred to not rebuke your brother. It's not loving your neighbor, it's hating them. And that's the same picture here. If God in his sovereignty, and this doesn't mean that you go and you hunt and you see if you can find any sin in somebody's life, but if God in his sovereignty reveals sin to you, you now have a duty before God to deal with it. And again, so many of the sores, they're not going to be visible except to people who are really close to you, except to people who are going to see you, not out in public, but see you in private, in your home. 
This is where most sins are discovered. And it doesn't mean that you go, oh, this is my father, I'll ignore his sin. This is my husband, I'll ignore his sin. That's not, that's not, you don't have any right to do that any more than you do for anybody else. You know, one example of that is in Deuteronomy 13, verses 6 through 8. If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom or your friend who is as your own soul, secretly entices you, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers, or the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him. Just because somebody has authority over you doesn't mean that you have the right to hide their sin. That is sin. That is unloving. Even for an authority. When you hide an authority's sin, you are being unloving. And that's important to recognize. When God reveals somebody's sin, you now, if you are a Christian, if you are a priest of the living God, you now have a responsibility to deal with it. Doesn't matter how close you are to that person. Doesn't matter how far you are from that person. You need to see it as potential leprosy that can destroy and can kill and can maim. That's how we're supposed to see sin, as a picture of leprosy. Only it's far worse because it's spiritual and not physical. And so knowledge of sin creates a real obligation. Sin is contagious. It is like leaven. It does spread through people. Unless it's exposed to light, unless it's dealt with, it gets worse. To know about sin and to ignore it is to sin. Another application, too much is given, much is expected. The signs of sin and authority are harder to see. The scaly leprosy is this picture of something hidden under the hair. It's a wispy yellow hair that is the sign, right? It's a a hair that looks like the other hair that's not nearly as visible as the other hair. It's not like the white hairs growing out. So it can be easy and tempting to just ignore the potential sin when they're seen in leadership, when they're seen in people that have authority. In the criteria, the things are able to be seen by all. Something can seem off. You see the skin sloughing off. So you don't just ignore it just because it looks different. You don't just ignore it. Real authorities have to be pressed. They have to be pushed when you see sin in their life to make sure that it's not just superficial. Why are they doing what they're doing? If what they're doing seems questionable, not, you don't interrogate them rudely. You don't do it disrespectfully. But you do it with the recognition that, as Paul said, there will be wolves that rise up. There will be false shepherds. There will be, there will be fathers that abuse their children. There will be presidents and, and governors that abuse their citizens. We have a duty to declare sin to be sin. We have a duty to declare people to be unclean. Think about how many Christian, quote-unquote, politicians we've had in the last 150 years. I mean, so many of them clearly are not Christians. Like, absolutely, there's no way that they could even possibly be Christians. But what does the church say? Nothing. Because we're more concerned about our pocketbook than we are about the blasphemy of the name of God. The church has an obligation to call sin, sin. Especially when it's seen in authorities. Because otherwise, 
the world will go astray because that's what leaders do. They lead. And so we need to recognize the, the ability of leaders to lead a whole group of people astray. So when we see sins and signs of sin in their life, it's not that we go they're held to a lower standard. It's that because people attack leaders, it has to be proven soundly, but it doesn't mean that you ignore the sin. Another application, most churches, when they do church discipline, assume that when somebody says they repent that it's genuine. In this passage on leprosy, the opposite appears to be assumed. When the sore is seen, it's easier to declare them unclean. If you see that the wound goes through their sin, they're unclean. If you see a yellow hair, they're unclean. The pressure is to say, why do we think they're clean? Why do we think this is only superficial? If it appears to be only superficial, that's not when you say they're clean. No, that's when you isolate them to see if it will grow. That's when you shave off all their hair. The church has an obligation to make sure repentance is real and not just accept people back in because they say they repent. And the repentance, the test to see if the repentance is real is, in these passages, it's to isolate the person. It's to make them separate. It's to make everybody know what's going on because through everybody knowing what's going on and seeing how they respond, that's how you see if it's superficial or if it goes deep into the skin. Too often in the church, people just want to believe words. Remember, Jesus Christ, when he came, he said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. God is not worried about words. He's worried about hearts. And if we care about our brothers and sisters, if we care about other people, that's what we should be worried too. Not just whether they can give, say the right words so that they get out of trouble. But where is their heart? We have a duty to reveal to those who are going to hell that they're going to hell. And not just cover it up with words. Not just let them get out of it by saying they repent. Too often in the church, we just ignore. We just ignore what we see are patterns of sin. And they just, repent. they just say they repent. We have a duty to make sure that this is really just transitory sin. And not a picture and practice of sin. Another similar application is give sin time to manifest itself. When dealing with sin, it's important to recognize the nature of sin. Those who practice sin, they are slaves of sin. They can't help themselves. They are slaves. And so when you isolate them, when you hold them as separate, when you tell people there's issues going on, if they're a slave of sin, they have trouble with that. And so often, they'll start to slander people. They'll start to talk about people. They'll start to clearly not deal with their own sin. They'll start to blame other people. When you give, give sin time to manifest itself, when you publicize the sin, when it's made known, so often people's response is almost immediately to show that they're guilty by how they respond. If they respond with, this, is, this situation was caused by me, this situation was caused by my sin, I need to deal with it, I need to make it right, then that's hopeful. Too often what they go is, they're just being vindictive. They're just showing this stuff so that, so that everybody doesn't like me. It's all them. And that's the typical response. Because they're slaves of sin, they can't help themselves. 
And so, so much of this is about making it known, making it obvious. When the person is isolated, everybody knows there's something's going on. When the person's hair's cut off, everybody knows this is what the issue is. So in church discipline, it's important for the church to understand how people respond. Because if they're a slave of sin, they respond differently than if they're a slave of righteousness. If they're a slave of righteousness, they respond like it says in 2 Corinthians 7 that I just read. If they're a slave of sin, they attack the people that are bringing the sin out. But priests, which are all Christians are, we're to have a desire that if it's a leprosaur in the church, especially in the church, that we have a duty for the sake of the name of God to deal with that sin and to make sure that it's not growing. Another application, someone who's a leader should not immediately be returned back to trust. When their head and their beard is shaved, it would take a while for them to grow back. Just because you go, this is superficial, this was just a sin, this was just a passing sin, it doesn't mean that people wouldn't recognize it for a while, wouldn't watch out for it for a while. And it's fair, it's just for people to be cautious for a while. Shouldn't just be, well, they were declared clean, so I'm just going to trust them. No, the trust has to be rebuilt, just like the hair has to be regrown and the beard has to be regrown. <coughs> Which doesn't mean that they're not forgiven, but it means trust has to be rebuilt. Another application people want to cover up sin, they want people to not know about it. But it's light that makes things manifest, both ways. The person who sinned and it was transitory, they should not want to hide their sin. Because the reality is the light shows what the limit of their sin is. And they should be fine with it being seen. If the person's clean, he should not care. He should, right, it talks about vindicating himself. It's talking about making sure everybody knows what went on. It's about walking in the light. The person who sinned and truly repented they walk in the light. The person who sinned and didn't truly repent, they want to walk in darkness. Now, if the person is not clean, shaving their head, except for the scaly sword, will make everybody understand the sin. Everybody see the boundaries of it. It's when it's hidden that it gets worse. You've protected yourself against the leprosy by isolating the person, by shaving their head, except for the scaly sore. You've already protected yourself against the sin by making it known. Light is the protection against sin being like leaven and spreading through the body. (laughs) And that's especially true in leadership. Whether it's in the church or in society. And then a corollary to that is another application. When When sin is suspected or it's been revealed in a person, and it's dealt with in the proper way, then everybody can have confidence in the state of the person, whether he's a leper or not, whether he should still be leader or not. So often churches claim that they're trying to protect the person by, by not, revealing, not revealing the suspected sin, but that doesn't protect the person at all. I forget who it was, but somebody recently, we did a podcast on... They just removed him from leadership and said, oh, there's things going on. That is so sinful. 
is what it means is now the whole church is going, I wonder what it is. And different people have different opinions of what it is. And now everybody suspects him of all kinds of things. If you have reason to make accusations, make the accusations. Make them public. Make them seen. And then if the accusations are shown to be false, like they restored him, oddly enough, which it happens all the time without actually dealing with it, without the congregation knowing what's going on, that's like exactly the opposite of this passage. In what you restore them, and you restore them to what? Nobody knows what the sin was. Nobody knows to watch out for it. Nobody knows whether they should trust him. Nobody knows anything. Darkness does nothing. It's light that can actually make you say, I see what he did. He's dealt with the sin. He's washed his clothes. He's cleansed himself from it. He's doing the things to deal with it so I can have confidence in his state before God. Instead, what we do is hide the sin so often. But that's not what the law says. The law says make sure that people know. Make sure people understand. Churches need to embrace the idea that light resolves problems instead of creating problems. Darkness just creates more problems. Another application, when we sin as Christians, we do sin. We still have an obligation to deal with the effects of the sin, to make our reputation known, to undo whatever effects that there were from the sin. In the case of the flaky sore, we need to make sure that others aren't spreading it, that others aren't continuing, which I think is why Peter says that they have to be rebuked in the presence of all. Everybody needs to know this was a problem. Because if you don't rebuke him in the presence of all, there will be people who'd go, well, he did this. This is the right thing to do. Instead of exposing it and making it known. When we sin, we have to clean our clothes. We have to deal with the effects of the sin. Because it is our responsibility. Another application, God gives us a process, but we shouldn't think that process is infallible. Remember, we're just examining external things. We can't examine the heart. We can say, oh, this is just superficial. This isn't any place else. And then all of a sudden it can burst out someplace else. And then we go, nope, we were wrong. We have to accept that God gives us to judge what he gives us to judge. And we're judging the external. Which doesn't mean that we don't trust that they've repented. It doesn't mean other things. But it does mean that we should be realistic God has given us a means of judgment. He has given us processes for judgment. But there's deceivers. Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. We shouldn't think that we'll always come to the right conclusion. And so when we find new information, we're not supposed to ignore what we knew before. We're supposed to take what we knew before and apply it. The second time you don't go, oh, let's see if a, let's shave them, let's isolate them. You just go, nope, they're in sin. So we're not supposed to be naive to say our judgment was infallible, that we were right. What we're supposed to do instead is say, this is where God has told us to judge, and we've judged faithfully, we've done justly. Even if the person was guilty, even if the person's heart in the wrong place, there's no promise that our judgment is going to reveal that. What we're supposed to do is obey God and judge according to God's ways. Another application. second time the sin arises in the same person don't consider it the same way in our justice system there's this idea that during sentencing you can talk about previous crimes but not during the trial 
That's not biblical. That's not a biblical concept at all. When somebody has a pattern of sin, it is just to consider that pattern of sin. And so if they did something, even when they say they repented of it, if they come back and they do the same thing again, they have a pattern of sin. And do not be deceived. He who does not practice righteousness is of the devil. That's what it says in 1 John 3. And so we are supposed to consider what they did before. We're not supposed to go, oh, they repented of that that sin, and now it's three months later, oh, they repented of that sin again, and then it's three months later, oh, they repented of that sin again. No, they're guilty is what what the laws of leprosy say. If you keep seeing it, they haven't really repented. (coughs) And so what potentially becomes minor when you deal with the process and it becomes repetitive, it is showing that it's a practice of sin. And Christ said he sent his spirit so we would not practice sin. Then the last application. It's, it's important to recognize our duty to deal with authorities. And this is a big deal in the church. Because so many people, you know, especially wives, they hear the only way that you can divorce your husband is because of sexual immorality. And they go, but he beats me. What should I do? And they act like they shouldn't call the police. Of course they should call the police. Their duty is to expose sin. They should talk to the elders. Their duty is to expose sin. Just because they can't divorce doesn't mean that they're supposed to hide the sin and the authority over them. This is true for children. This is true for, for, this is how life works. We are supposed to expose sin, even in authorities. And that's not against the authority. What's against the authority is to allow them to continue to wallow in their sin. That is not walking in righteousness. Walking in righteousness is exposing sin. God says, different authorities in place. He set, you know, the civil magistrate, the church magistrate. He set the head of the family. He set everybody has authority over himself. There's business authorities. There's all kinds of authorities. And those authorities are because all of us sin. And God puts checks and balances. So if somebody is sinning against somebody that's under their authority, there are checks and balances that are supposed to be used to stop their sin not to just allow their sin to grow. And the church has so much trouble with this when it talks. Yes, a woman that is beat, she was assaulted by her husband. She should call the police. She should call the elders of the church. She shouldn't just let it go in darkness and grow because that's what happens. It grows in darkness. And then they go, there's no solution except to divorce when the reality is they refuse to do the solutions that God gave. The solutions that God gave are you exercise authorities. He's appointed multiple authorities for a reason. The responsibility of somebody that's under authority is not to hide the sins of those who have authority over them. Rather, they still have the same duty to love their neighbor and to expose their sin and to rebuke them for their sin. Let me close it in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this picture. What we do pray as you give us these pictures and we have to tie them to to things that we know things that we know from the the new testament things that we know from your word lord we pray that we handle them carefully and accurately but also lord let us handle them boldly because you have given us your spirit you have given us your truths you have given us revelation so that we know that these passages about leprosy are passages that We're supposed to take them and know how to apply them to our lives today. Lord, help us to do that. 
you you care deeply about sin. You care deeply about sin in your in your church. Lord, let us have the same zeal that we would if it was leprosy, or we would if it was some contagious disease that was among us. Let us recognize how much more seriously sin is a contagious disease that can be among us. Lord, let us be a people who desire to to be a holy people so that your name is known to be great. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.